morning. If you have a Bible, grab that and go with me to the little book of 2 John. We've been in uh, 1 John for quite some time, several weeks now, working our way through it. Uh, and we're kind of progressing this into the second uh, epistle of John. And there's a lot of similarities between the two. Namely, it's written by the same dude, right? Like John wrote both of them, so that makes sense. Uh, but there is some stark uh, kind of differences, and one of those being... Uh, Second John's much smaller. Right? It's a much shorter letter, uh, and all God's people said, "Amen." Right? Uh, we're going to get through the whole thing today. Just uh, just thirteen verses in this short epistle, and we're going to make our way through eleven of those. Uh, and so, very very excited for what John's going to show us today. You know, I don't know about you, but if you're anything like me, um, man, just weathering the week that we've just come out of, and in the middle of the season that we just came out of, there's one thing that seems certain, and that is uncertainty, right? It seems that, man, like uh, every day I wake up with more questions about tomorrow than the ones I entered the last day with, right? Uh, it seems like there's just, uh, I mean, just a whole lot of, uh, of uncertainty around um, our nation, our world, your, you know, our economy, all this stuff, and no matter where you sit on that political spectrum, the reality is um, that we just have a lot of questions, right? We have a lot of questions uh, that maybe are unanswered about where things are going or heading or whatever. Well, uh, you know, if you're like me again, you know, the thing that I woke up wanting this morning was not opinion, not a headline, not a newscast, but I wanted truth, right? I wanted to hear truth. I wanted to have something that was going to stand the test of time and even maybe the test of 2020, right? That, uh, man, we, that we could anchor ourselves to, that we could bank on, uh, that we could rest on. And it's, it's truth. And I'm, I'm here this morning, I just want to remind you that we do have a place where we can find that. Right? Uh, I think sometimes it's very easy to find ourselves in this current and we can uh, man, just be swimming in the midst of all these thoughts and we can uh, maybe, maybe forget that we have a place where everything around us might be spinning and everything around us might be shaking. We have something that is firm, something that is steadfast, and something that is true. And so this morning, that, that place is God's word. And so uh, I, I'm thankful for it. And I'm also thankful for this letter because that's the very heartbeat of Second John. John is going to show us that truth at the core of it is what we not only, uh, is not only good for us, but something we desperately need as a people if we're going to be a faithful church with a faithful witness uh, in this world and in this day. In a world full of lies, right, we need truth. And so this morning, John's going to show us just that. So if you have that uh, opened, 2 John, verse 1, we are going to work our way through. I'm going to step through this introduction before uh, we kind of land with where we're heading today, okay? First uh, John, I mean, Second John chapter 1, verse 1. There's only one chapter, so there you go. Uh, verse 1 says this. It says, the elder, okay, the elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth. I want to pause there. What John just did was he opened this letter with a title, the title being the elder, uh, this was a term, a title given to him that would have been used by his recipients. He was the last known apostle uh, at the time of this letter's kind of pinning, and uh, it was probably written in the later part of the first century of the church. And so when this church receives this letter and it says the elder wrote it, you sit up a little bit, right? You, you listen a little bit more intently, and now it's like this thing that is about to be unpacked has some weight, Right? It, has some, it carries with it some weight that's good for my life. And, and, and 
John says that he, he is the elder and he's writing this now to who? To the elect lady and her children. This wasn't written to one woman in the church and her babies. This was written to the church, the local congregation. In the New Testament, the church is given a feminine identity, right? It's called the bride of Christ. And so John, in that same heartbeat, says to the, the, the elder, to the elect lady, this church and her children, its members, right? And what does he say to them? Whom I love in truth, not only I, but also all who know the truth. Because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. Don't we need that this morning? From God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. So what does John say about these people? He says, these people whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also all who know the truth. He shows there's this connection taking place here. John loved these people. Make sure you hear that. John loved this church. Uh, you know, some people think that this might have even been his church, that he was pastoring or overseeing. This word elder, again, in the New Testament is a word that's kind of synonymous. The word pastor doesn't show up in the New Testament. Okay, so you know, it's a word... Uh, elder or overseer that is uh, given to the office of the one who teaches and leads and oversees the church and the spiritual care of the people within. And so right here, John is writing to his people and he says, I love you. And isn't it so good? And one of the things I've seen and admire in RC is that he often tells you this. He often tells you, probably not a week goes past where he doesn't say, I love you. I love you, church. I think it's good for us to hear that, right? Uh, man, you're not just people on a roll. You're not just a butt in a seat. You're a family that we love and we care for. Uh, and I hope you feel that. And John says he loved his people. He loves this people. He has this deep affection for this people. And, and it's connected. If you look at the language there, it says, whom I love in truth. It's connected with their deep uh, uh, commitment and affection and faithfulness to, to the truth, right? There's truth and love you'll see in this letter as you Read through it, maybe uh, in, in our time together, we'll get through most of it. But if you want to go later and read through it, you'll see these two themes of, of love and truth woven together throughout, okay? And in this thing, there is this, uh, he shows this great affection. There's this connection to this church. There's this love for this church because of their mutual love and commitment to truth. You know, in John 17, at the end of Jesus' life, he, pray, he prays a prayer right before his crucifixion. It's called the high priestly prayer. And in this prayer, he says something you'll blow over if you don't really pay attention to the prayer. He says, Father, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Did you catch that? He says, sanctify them, grow them to look more like me, right? Uh, your word, Father, is the conduit in which that will happen. Your word is truth. This church was connected to that conduit. This church believed that to be true. They believed that Jesus Christ was Lord. They believed the, the basic tenets of doctrine found in the scripture. They believed that salvation was by faith in Jesus Christ, what he had accomplished. They believed this. And so there was this mutual thing that was shared between John and the members of the church. That's why he says, whom I love in truth, but not only I, also who, uh, all who also know this truth. Right? And this is what I love. And this is a great reminder for us this morning. I want to take a moment to make sure you hear what unites us in this room is not our pledge of allegiance to LifePoint. Okay? It's not that we have all reserved our Sundays to sit together and to share meals together 
and to talk about the poor performance of the Vols each Saturday or Sunday together, right? And that's not what unites us. What unites us together is our shared belief in the truth of Christ found in his word. That's what makes us church. And that's why there is this connection between John and the people. This love that, was, that tied them together was their mutual belief in, in Christ as found in the scripture. And it's the same thing that ties us together in this room today. That same love, that same mutual belief. These things are tethered together. And so what John is going to do in this letter is he's going to just make, try to continue lighting that flame of love and of truth in this church. He, he, he's going to encourage us to even more, the church, those who have believed upon Jesus Christ, to walk in the truth of what you've claimed, right? To actually live that out and to love one another and to watch for lies, okay? To watch for lies. So that's where we're going. If you like a good road map like I do, I want to know where I'm going when I go somewhere, right? And so there's where we're heading. Walk in truth and watch for lies. Let's continue in this epistle together. Verse 4 says, I rejoice greatly <clears throat> to find some of your children walking in truth, just as were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, again, this is the, a reference to the, to the church, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one that we have had from the beginning. What's he talking about there? Well, you remember what Jesus said uh, in, in, John's, in John's gospel. This same writer also wrote a gospel, right, an account of Jesus' life, ministry. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John wrote that, right? And what he says in there, he said that Jesus was quoted saying, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Right, And so John here in his second epistle, he says right here, and now I ask you, church, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but you remember the old one I wrote you, that you love one another. He's re drawing reference back to what he's already said, what Jesus has already said. Jesus was the one that quoted that. Right, and, and so right here, if we're going to be a people, listen, make sure you get this connection. Don't miss this. If we're going to be a people who walk in truth, if that's going to be true of us, if we're going to be a people who walk in truth, it's going to express itself in love. Are you tracking with me? It's going to express itself in love. And John gets news that this church was doing just that. It's walking in truth. It's obeying the Lord and his commandments for them. They're, they're loving one another well. And it says, I rejoiced greatly when I found out that this was happening. Have you ever gotten news that, man, you were just so excited about you couldn't wait to tell somebody? Right? Someone, I've had people in my life that come to me and they say, hey, look, we're going to have this surprise party. They're going to be so excited. Don't tell them. Well, let me just let you know, if, you, if that's you, you, you want to you surprise somebody that I know, don't tell me, okay? I will blow it for you, I promise you, and them. Right? So just surprise us both, okay? That, that's the best thing. To but let my wife know. She's better, way better about it. I'll just grin every time I'm around them. You know, until they ask, what? <laughs> I know what's happening. What's happening? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, but I've done it. I've done it many, many times. And he had good news. John, uh, the context suggests, had received news. Because he says, I rejoiced greatly when I found out. That you were walking, when I learned that you were walking in the truth as commanded by the Father. 
He's having one of these proud parent moments. You know, we just got done dedicating these babies up here. And many of these parents will have this moment at some point if they've not already had 15 of them, right? Some of them, this wasn't their first rodeo. And they, uh, you know, they've, they've had these moments. You know, you get moments where you want the world to know something your kids have accomplished. Right? It's like their first steps or it's their, you know, it's their first bike ride or they made the team or they, you know, whatever. We, we want the world to know it used to be a bumper sticker. You remember like honor roll and you just like tagged your new car with it and ruined it forever, right? Now it's like a, it's like a uh, you know, a finely crafted, you know, social media post. It's so funny. Like we, we only celebrate the wins in our kids' lives. Right? We don't post them striking out. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? World, watch how bad my kid is at this sport. Yeah? Like, world, look at this, this list of people that made the, you know, the band seats. Like, my kid's name's not on them. You know, like, we don't do that. We have proud parent moments. And this is what John just did. He has this proud moment. He says, I rejoiced greatly to find out that you were walking in the truth. You're walking in the truth. This is the encouragement for us today to continue to walk in truth. But how do we do that? What does that even look like? Well, there's many things you could say about that. We could, you know, preach sermon after sermon after sermon about what it means specifically to walk in truth. But at the, if we were to boil it down to its, like, essence, it could be said that, or summarized, that walking in truth is to believe and live right things about the gospel. To believe rightly and to live rightly about the gospel, things about the gospel. So John MacArthur said this, he said, we speak the truth, we think on the truth, we desire the truth. This is about the church. We, we manifest the truth. We hear truth, the truth. We obey that truth we've heard. Most comprehensively, we walk in truth. That is to say, we conduct our whole lives in the realm of truth. It determines how we think, how we speak, how we act. We walk in truth. If we walk in truth, church, what we are doing is our whole lives are orbiting around truth. Not truth orbiting around our lives. Does that make sense? Like our lives ought to to bend around what God's word says. Not God's word bending around what we want it to say. Right? So this church was walking in the truth even when it was hard in a day in which it cost you a lot more than it costs us. And he was excited. He was excited. You want to see RC freak out? Right? Walk in truth, church. Actually, like hear the sermon, apply the sermon. Hear the truth privately in your quiet time with the, your alone time with the Lord. Hear it, apply it, walk in it. Jesus says when you do that, what the world's going to see is love. And the love manifest is what they're going to know. That's how they're going to differentiate that you're a follower of mine. It's not love as, you know, our world might define it. It's love how God defines it, which is ultimately more important. That love is magnetic. That love is compelling. That love is what draws people to ask the question what's different about you which enters into a gospel conversation, which gives opportunity for the Holy Spirit to work in the lives of those that we know. And so we got to walk in truth. And John is excited because the word on the street is that the church was doing just that. They were believing right things, but not just belief. They were actually walking in them. Imagine that. What they believed had actually changed how they lived. What they knew was determining what they did 
This is John's desire for us as we read this letter. If you want to know what the, what the point of 2 John is, is that you would hear God's truth and you would walk in it. And you would guard yourself from anything but it. Right, that you would hear the truth, that you would walk in truth, that you would hold on to truth, and you would reject anything but the truth. So help us, God. Now get this. Again, it's important that we get this. When we talk about truth and when we talk about love, I want to make sure you understand these things aren't disconnected. Okay? There's, there's not a day in a life where you are a truthful person and you follow that up with being a loving person. If you are not loving, you are in fact not being truthful. And if you are not truthful, you are in fact not being loving. You following me? These things are not mutually exclusive. Love depends on truth. It depends on it. The same way these parents will learn if they've not yet learned, that little human depends on them. In the same way, love depends on truth. Truth is the foundation for which love can be expressed. If we're not being truthful to people in our lives... Even when it's a hard conversation, right? If we're not sharing truth with them, we are in fact not loving them. You, may, you see what I'm saying? It, you might be nice to them. You might, it might be a comfortable conversation for you. But you're not loving them. Love depends on truth. They're inseparable throughout the Bible. And I know we, we, we make these hard lines where we try to, you know, isolate one from another and talk about what it means to love and what it means to, to, to hold on to truth. But in fact, these things are woven in Scripture. If you are, if you're being truthful to someone, that is the most loving thing you can do. And especially when that truth is truth defined by, by the Lord, by his word. The reason I say that is because our world's biggest kind of anthem today is you follow your truth. Right? You know, whatever, whatever, find your truth. Whatever your truth is, follow that. There is only one truth. All truth is God's truth. And if it's not truth, then it's lies. Right? And so, so you may have people in your life that have followed their truth, and they're in fact not following anything but that that's which leading to destruction. It is not loving if you don't follow, if you don't enter into those conversations and stop swerving out of gospel moments Right, in order to be convenient for yourself or nice to them and not offend them, we have to be truthful. And that, in fact, is the most loving thing that we can do. It's like two rails of a railroad, right, that a train runs on. If you take one track off from the other, it ends in destruction. When, when uh, Most parents would, would see it this way. When, uh, maybe, maybe Lottie is the only one. I have a four-year-old daughter. I talk about her a lot. She's everything to me, and God gave her to me for unlimited sermon illustrations, Okay. Um, anytime we go to a store or any kind of public place with many cars and traffic nearby, uh, what my daughter loves to do the moment she finds freedom from her car seat is run right into traffic. Any other parents attest to that? It just like, it seems like as soon as their feet hit the ground, they have like a, a honing, you know, it's like they just run right into traffic. And, and anytime we're out and about, my wife's always saying, Matt, you can't do that. You're a pastor. I'm like, Lottie, get over here, you know, I'm going to whoop you, you know, like, get over it. And I'm yelling out in Target parking lot, like, hey, church member, you know, all that kind of stuff. Are they going by? I'm over there whooping my daughter's rear end. Listen, it's not loving if I just let her run, right? If I just let her run and experience life and, and, and I'm not firm with truth, 
You cannot run out into traffic. It is going to kill you. The, the car will not stop. <laughs> you know, It's not loving. Love is when I, I, I tell her firmly, this is what truth is. But then I come up, I promise you, I grab her and I hold her and I say, I love you. That's why daddy's doing this. It's so true in our lives. You know, there's conversations that many of us have had the opportunity to have, or maybe that, that conversation's still present before you. There's people in your lives that you know that are buying into a lie because it's parted from God's word, and the reality is of their lifestyle, whether it be you know, just a, a, a behavior, a pattern of behavior in their life that's a sinful pattern that's leading to destruction. It's a choice that they've made. It's an identity issue that they're walking in. It may be you fill in the blanks, right? If we're not having truth-filled conversations, we are not being loving. Because what is at risk is far worse than a car wreck. It's an eternity separated from the Father forever. And so we as the church, and even more important now than ever, and being progressively more so each passing day, we are going to have to be okay with being, you know, the, the minority of thought, right? When the whole world says this is good, and this is right, and this is, you know, this is your truth, and this is how you, we have to be the ones that say, no, 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 no. All truth is God's truth. And the most loving way I can, the most loving thing I can do for you is to show you what he has said. What he has said. You see, we can't be high on love and low on truth, nor can we be low on love and high on truth. Either of these scenarios are a ditch. All, either scenario is a ditch. I love how John Stott uh, put it. He put it this way. He said, love is soft if it isn't strengthened by truth. It's soft if it isn't strengthened by truth, and truth is hard if it isn't softened by love. Let me say it one more time. Love is soft if it isn't strengthened by truth. So you've got to have truth. But truth is hard if it isn't softened by love. So you've got to have both, love and truth. If we are going to walk in truth as God's people, we will be known as the most loving people to the world around us. We've got to be a, a watchful people because there are lies, right? There are lies. And so if we're going to walk in truth, we have to watch for lies. Let's continue in this in verse 7. It says this. It says, for many deceivers have gone out into the world. Let me, let me pause for a moment. That, that first word, for, is very important. When you see the word in the scripture, therefore, you say, okay, what was the therefore? Therefore. Right? If you see the word for in scripture, you say, what's the word for, for? Well, it's, he says for because what he's doing is he's pointing back to everything he's just said. He said, look, walk, continue walking truth. I'm rejoicing greatly because you're walking in this truth. Love one another, church. Be truthful to one another. The reason is, is because of everything he's about to say. And he goes on to say that there are deceivers in the world. There are those who are sowing lies in the world. They've gone out into the world like the disciples were sent out into the world. The enemy has sent out lies and deception into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver into antichrist. Little antichrist all in the world. 
sowing lies and deception and division in our churches, in your homes. It says, watch yourselves, verse 8, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide, dwell, soak in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in his teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked ways. He's saying don't support these lies. Don't get behind and endorse these lies in the name of niceness, in the name of being loving to them. You, there's this line at which you begin to start embracing and endorsing and actually promoting what their, their lifestyle you tracking with me? So if we know people in our lives, let's just say this. If you know people in your lives that are pursuing a same-sex relationship, okay, we have got to be the people who love them more than anyone else in the world, right? The church ought to never be accused of not loving people because every life has intrinsic value because it has placed upon it the image of God. Right, So we as God's people who know the truth, we ought to walk in truth and that will show itself in a great love for all people. But if we do not enter in conversations with great truth to them, saying this is what God says, this is the lie that you believe, this is what God wants better for this situation. If we don't have that conversation, right, we at some point begin to embrace that lifestyle. Is that tracking with me? We've got to, if we just only love it and we never show truth, You've got to, in both ways, right? You've got to love and we've got to show truth. And he says, just don't, don't give. He's specifically talking about false teachers here. Don't embrace and greet them because at some point you begin to take part in their wicked works. And this is important because what John is doing, he's suggesting there's a real threat that we need to be careful of. It's a real threat. He says, why he said, walk, you know, walk in these truths and then watch for these lies is because there is this real danger that we need to be watchful and ready for, right? The, the, the danger he's referring to, again, are these false teachers, those that are, uh, you know, are not walking in truth, but they're sowing in lies or working in lies into the fabric of the church. So what John is doing is he's confronting the very opposite of what he's just affirmed, right? So he affirmed, man, you guys, church members, you're walking in truth, and now he's confronting, he's saying, but look, there are those that are going to work in lies into your body, into your homes, into your own mind. You've got to watch out, church. If you're going to be faithful to the end, you've got to watch out. You've got to watch out. This kind of danger he refers to are those most central beliefs of the Christian faith. The, the, the gospel and any gospel contrary to the gospel revealed in Scripture is, is a gospel we have to reject. Are you tracking with me? We have to fight against. We have to guard against. We have to, uh, you know, we have to uh, protect our our families, our homes, and our church from it. Because listen to me, all truth, again, is God's truth, so therefore it's not ours to define, but it is ours to steward. Just like your finances, they don't belong to you. You have what God has given you to steward, to protect, to preserve, to handle in accordance with the way that he's asked us to. He's called us to and commanded us to. The same is true with truth. We have a personal and corporate responsibility to steward truth. Truth in our own lives, truth in your life groups, truth in this body. If myself or RC ever preaches anything that 
is contrary to Scripture, it is your responsibility to steward that truth, to call us out for it. And it, again, not up to what, you know, whatever your favorite Bible preacher on YouTube says, but according to what God's word says. There is an ultimate standard, right? I know the world hates this idea that there is an ultimate standard of truth. Truth is defined as God sees it, not as our world defines it. Because, listen, I'm not going to build my life on something that constantly changes, right? I'm going to build my life on something that's sure and steady and steadfast, and that is God's decreed word. But here's the problem. Here's what I see the problem in this message. We are not going to be a people who can walk in truth unless we first understand it and believe it ourselves. And we're not going to be a people who can guard against lies that we've not, if we've never grasped the truth ourselves. You track with me? And the, the, if, you would, if you would understand the, uh, the reason this is problematic is because there are statistics coming out in the church today that the, 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 uh, the, the rate of Bible engagement amongst professing evangelical believers is like minuscule. I'm talking about those who say, Jesus is my Lord. Man, I love the church. I love his word. Yet they don't spend any time in it. And the problem with this passage is how are we going to walk in something we've not spent time in? How are we going to guard something that we have never grasped ourselves and it never has any weight and merit in our own lives? So listen to me. If we're going to be a church who walks in truth, we have to be a church who spends time in our Bible. There is no other way around it. And I'm not trying to be like old school, like Bible smacking, all that kind of stuff. But maybe we need to do a little bit more of that because the reality is that you cannot grow and you cannot watch and you cannot walk in that which you've not spent time in. It will not happen. This is the way in which God has decreed for us to know how to live lives of godliness and holiness. Everything we need to know is here. Not a newscast, not a broadcast, not an, not an opinion article. It's here. You want to know what God thinks about marriage? It's here. You want to know what God thinks about gender? It's here. You want to know what God has designed and, and, and how he has crafted the home and the roles within? It's here. If you want to know what God thinks about all life? It's here. What God thinks about, uh, you know, rights to life or pro-life or whatever? It's here. It's here. It's here. This is where God has decreed for us to, to find all information we need for lives of, of holiness and godliness. How do we grow to know the Lord that we've not seen so just a brief encouragement, if you have never, if you're not engaging your Bible, let us help you. Let us help you in that. There is, it, there is no, like, it, it's just a progressive problem in the church. We have so many people filling rows and packing pews that have never knocked the dust off their Bibles. But we've got to be people who walk, we walk in truth and we defend against these lies. We guard against these lies. That will not happen if we not spent time there to see it for ourselves. My dad used to send me, I remember when I was younger, there were several times it was kind of a joke in my home. He used to send me like, to, if he was like working on a, on a car or like, you know, something in the house, he needed a tool. He'd say, Matt, go out to this shed and get a, you know, 516th socket. I run out there and I open up the shed doors, walk inside of the, to the uh, uh, toolbox, and I pull open the drawer. It looked like it had, I mean, I, I guess that was what the socket drawer look what, looked like. I opened it up, and there's just like an unlimited, you know, ca, uh, you know, chasm of Home Depot. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just looking down at all these things. I'm like, I got nothing. Nine times out of ten, I'm bringing back something that's not even in the same category of tool. You know, I'm like, I got a hammer. 
Like, oh, I needed a socket. All right, I'm going to go, you know. And the reality is until I spent time with those things myself, really, uh, you know, trying to fix things around the house, I had no idea. I watched a lot of YouTube. Uh, you know, I had no idea what I was doing because I had not put my hands on it. I had not put my mind to it. I had not spent time with it. And the same is true, listen, with our spiritual lives. If we're going to be a people who walk in truth, I want to beat a dead horse, but the reality is we cannot grow to walk in truth if we don't know it. And we will not guard our homes, our lives, and our church from lies if we don't know the truth. And so listen, we've got to be a people who engage. We've got to be a people who engage the truth. And so practically, though, let me give you some, re- some ways that we guard ourselves from lies. Well, we need to guard our eyes, guard our ears, and guard our hearts, Right? And not being expansive or exhaustive on either one of these, but you guard your eyes by being very in, uh, intentional, careful about what you give yourself opportunity to look at. The reason why so many people fall into these addictions to pornography and, and where, why their thought life is nothing but uh, ungodly fantasies and things like that. The reason why our speech many times is, uh, is bent away from the heart of God and our, you know, our, our, our just the things that we think are funny and the conversations will entertain and all these things. It's because we've not guarded our eyes. Right? I, I, I sit with so many parents throughout the years of student ministry that have said, I just can't believe that my kid is, is looking at these things. I can't believe that my, my kid wants to dress like this or has sent this picture. And really, I could go back and i say, if you just track this back, you could say, well, you flipped him an iPhone at age eight and thought it was going to end well. Listen, parents, if I could say something, and I know I have the full backing of our next-gen department in this. Listen, if I could say something to you, it's this. You're not called to be their friend. You're called by God to pastor them, to lead them. As the primary spiritual leadership in the home is your responsibility. It is your role. It's your role to lead them and parent them, not befriend them. If that happens, great. But the reality, the reason I say that is I know, and I can, I can say this really because I know from your experience. I have a four-year-old. She's not yet asked for an iPhone. I'll need someone else to preach this when she gets a little bit older, Right? But right now, I can say this because, man, it just the, the reality is our eyes are windows into our hearts, right? And, and the scripture calls us in Proverbs 4, it says, above all else, guard your heart for from it everything. So, so for everything you do flows from it, right? If you, and there's another, uh, I think in another um, translation of that verse, it calls it the wellspring of life, our heart. From the spring, from the, the well flows everything. If the well is poisoned, well, then everything you draw from it will be as well. Right? So if you, if you see in your kids, if you see in yourself, your the conversation, your speech to maybe your wife or your coworkers and stuff like that is just seasoned with sin. If your thoughts... We don't, we don't take those captive enough, but if our thoughts are continually fantasies that would shame us if they were known, maybe the well is poisoned. Maybe what's coming in is actually taking effect in our heart and producing from it just filth, right? Junk in, junk out. 
right? If you watch nothing but trash on Netflix, don't be surprised when your relationships start to get a little tense. If your speech starts to get a little bit more sin-flavored, right? If you spend, you know, the things you spend your time on and all those things start to look a little bit less like your Bible than it did today before. Listen, we've got to be a people who are hands-on, intentional with what we, what we watch, what we listen to. Music's the same way. You know, your ears are pretty close to your brain, right? And what we listen to will take effect on how we talk and what we think about because your heart is the center of who you are. The Bible makes this clear throughout. So we're going to be a people who walk in truth. We've got to be a people who fight to filter nothing but truth into our eyes and our ears and, and ultimately into our hearts. Our hearts are the wellspring. So how is your speech? How is your life, your thought life? Do you find yourself always negative? Or do you find yourself filled with joy? So again, maybe the well is polluted this morning. The way that we guard our hearts, and I want to make sure you hear this, is ultimately not by restricting what goes in, but it's what we supplement and fill it up with. So it's not just about what we remove from our lives, but it's what we pour into our lives. That goes all the way back to the last thing I said. Listen, you're not going to guard your heart just by making sure you don't watch Netflix, you got filters on all of your software, that, you know, that your iPhones are locked down like the White House. That's not, like, the reason... The, the way that we guard our hearts ultimately is by pouring God's word into them, right? By filling ourselves up with his word, by filling ourselves up with his goodness, by remembering what he's done for us, by remembering his promises, by remembering what Christ has accomplished for us, by remembering that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, by remembering that at one point while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, by remembering scripture memorization and prayer are critical to this. So it's not just about exclusion, but it's about what you are pouring into and supplementing your faith with. This is the concept, I think his, his, uh, his name was Oswald Chalmers who said, not Chambers, Chalmers, that said uh, one time that this, is, this concept is called the expulsive power of a greater affection. The way that you fight sin in your life is not by just filtering it out. It's by loving Jesus more than it. It's by loving Jesus more than what you're watching. It's by loving Jesus more than Netflix. It's by loving your ki- Jesus more than you love the pressure you're about to fall to in your kids. It's by loving Jesus more than your kids. Right? That's how we parent our kids better. We love Jesus more than our kids. So we say, I'm going to honor Jesus in the way I'm parenting, regardless if it hurts their, their feelings and they think I'm the worst parent or not. Right? So I love Jesus more than you fill in the blank. So are you walking in truth? Am I walking in truth? I ask the same question to myself. If we're going to, the only shot that we stand is be people who know that truth, who know that truth live that truth, not just knowing rightly, but remember, living rightly and guard ourselves at all costs. Guard that truth at all costs. Steward that truth at all costs for God's fame in our lives and among the nations. And listen to me, the truth that we're ultimately guarding, the truth that I'm talking about, the truth that will stand when the world continues to shake is ultimately Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Isn't that what he said? 
So the truth I'm talking about, the truth that we're fighting for, is fighting that Jesus would have his, his way in my life. Jesus would have his way in my home. That Jesus would have his way in this church. That's who we're walking for. That's what we're walking with is the teachings and the name of Christ. And so listen, if you're here today and you say, look, I'm not, I, I've, everything you just described about, you know, my thought life and my, you know, thought, uh, you know, the trajectory of my life, the way my relationships are and everything, all the, my speech, all this stuff, it, 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 it is polluted. And maybe it's because you've bought the lie and you've not, you've not rested and built your home on the truth, on the truth of Christ, the truth that Jesus is the way, that he lived the life you could never live. That your default position wasn't heaven, that you deserve hell, and it's apart from a, and apart from a relationship with, with the almighty creator God of the universe, you will also spend eternity separated from him in your default position. Right? That chasm that was created by, that you were born into was sin, was because of sin, and we needed Christ to live the life we could never live, go to the cross and die the death that every one of us deserved to die. But yet, by faith, by faith in what he had accomplished with his perfect sacrifice, man, that we were guaranteed this newness of life when he got out of the grave three days later. Man, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, let me tell you, our world could be a whole lot uncertain, but that is a certainty that you can hang on to. And listen, let, let the world shake. It's going to continue to. But what will remain for eternity is the reality of Jesus Christ and his lordship in the lives of his people. And I pray if you don't know that today, that today would be a day of certainty for you as well. You can stop living in the gray and you step into the light of Christ. You can bow your knee to him as Lord and Savior and maybe for the first time in your life have something that will never change. Father, I love you. God, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful for who you are. I'm thankful for this church, Lord. And there's every single individual in this room is here by purpose. Father, there's a whole lot we've talked about throughout this message. There's a whole lot of uncertainty in our world today. There's a whole lot of division. There's a whole lot of fighting. A whole lot of unrest. Lord, to that world, your word is louder. Jesus Christ right now sits at your right hand. He has the name that's been given above all names that at his name, every knee on heaven, on earth, under the earth will bow. Lord, I pray that we would fix our eyes on that, that unchanging truth, that you are good, that you continue to rule today. And God, I pray if you don't rule in the lives of someone in this room, Father, that today, by your mercy and by your grace, you would open their eyes to see your son, give them the faith to place in Jesus and save them. Father, for those in this room that are your people. Now we've believed the truth of the gospel. I pray we'd walk in it. We would walk in it. We would show love to this nation, to this world, to our homes, to our kids, to our wives, to our co-workers. 
a love that's compelling, a love that is different, a love ultimately that is driven by your truth. God, help us to guard ourselves, guard our homes, and guard this church from the lies of the enemy, to fight for one another. God, would you be glorified? It's your name we pray. Amen. Hey, church, when we do this, won't you continue to stand right now, and we're going we're gonna, to uh, leave this place in worship the way we came.